Um, man, what an incredible, incredible week. I just want to thank all of the parents who entrusted us with your teenagers. Some of you sent me thank you cards saying, I haven't had a vacation in three years. Man, I'm so glad you got your vacation, and I'm so glad that uh, God changed your teenager's life. I'm so thankful for our adults. Listen, I've been to a lot of camps. I've never worked with a group of adult leaders as awesome as these adult leaders, and I want to give them a huge round of applause. That's awesome. Man, I've got a strong word for us today. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew chapter 16. This is a cool day. I mean, think about it. 15 years, 15 years. I want to publicly say this. I love my church. I am a member of this church, okay? I love my church. And here's the cool thing about this church, okay? I say this to people. If you've been in our membership class, you've heard me say this a couple times. Um, If I wasn't on staff here at Southcrest, this is the church I would attend. Okay, there's not a lot of pastors and staff members that say that. I know guys who serve in churches all over America. I'll be straight up honest with you. If they didn't serve on that church staff, they would not attend at that church. I would attend at this church. Like, I love this church. Amen. And uh, a 15th birthday is pretty cool. First of all, I want to say this. Some of you are like, man, there are a lot of teenagers on the front row. Well, I just want to confess to you. I told our teenagers at camp, our students, I said, listen, guys, I want you to take over our worship center. And so I want you to start sitting in the front, in the middle, in the sides. And a couple of students came up and said, Pastor Sean, what happens if we fill up so many rows that we have to kick the adults out? I said, come on, (laughs) fill it up. We'll break down the walls, Okay. And so from now forward, I'm just going to tell you guys, I, I, I have not only invited, I have evoked our teenagers to take over some of our front sections here. Are y'all okay with that? Are you good with that? Okay. Here's why I'm good with that, all right? Because all over the world, there are terrorists that are going to hand a 14-year-old an AK-47 and so go, say, go die for your faith. And I think maybe we have limited the student culture in our world. If they can do that, we ought to be able to hand a teenager a Bible and say, hey, go change your world. Amen? I'm just saying, all right? So I'm fired up about that, students. I love you. Can I get a shout? Come on, man. You guys rock. And uh, man, I am. thank you for the t-shirt too, by the way. That was an awesome gift to hang out with you guys last week. But you know, when you're 15... Things are just different in your life. I, I want to make a stark confession to you on our 15th anniversary uh, about something about my life when I was 15. I haven't shared this a lot publicly, so as I share it today, uh, please forgive me. I'm just going to tell you in advance. When I was 15, I had a mullet. <laughs> Worse than that, I had a mullet and a mustache. Okay, yeah. I had a mullet, a mustache, and it was like, it was like, business in the front, party in the back, mustache. And as you can tell, I'm very dark-skinned. So growing up where I grew up, they said, hey, dude, you got a Mexi mullet. I was like, hey, whatever you call it, okay? But when you're 15, things begin to kind of change in your life a little bit. I mean, think about it. You're done with junior high. How many freshmen we got here today? Freshman, yeah, you're like, come on, high school, you know? And you're just fired up, man. You're ready to be done. And, and as a church, that's kind of where we are. If, you, if you're a guest here, I want to tell you that over the last 15 years, we have just been clarifying who we are as a church. I mean, God's done some amazing things. The cool thing is, like, I'm looking out here today, and I'm seeing some of your faces, and you're here because Jesus led you here, and he changed your life here. 
And that's a really cool thing. But, but when you're 15, things are different. I mean, remember that moment when you were 15 and you realized you were one year away from getting your driver's license? The amount of freedom that began to fall upon your life. And as a parent, the amount of fear that entered your home, right? But when you're 15, here's what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know what? I'm done with junior high. I don't need any more junior high stuff. I'm done with all the drama. I want to be, be mature, right? Because I'm going to be in high school. And I remember when I was a student pastor, by the time a student got to be an 11th grader, they knew everything, like everything. Like they could solve any crisis. And then they would graduate and go back to college and they'd start having fun again in their life. They'd do stupid stuff. And, uh, but you know, when you're 15, things are just different. And, and as a church, that's really where we're standing today. We're standing after 15 years and God has done some amazing things. You know, I can't even help but think that there were probably 15 years ago, there were people that go, hey, there's this church that's starting up and, and they're all about reaching people one relationship at a time and, and they're really serious about this, but you know, they, they probably won't be around 15 years later. Here we are. And what I want to talk to you about today out of Matthew 16 is I think the reason why we're still here today. Because as excited as I am about what God has done in the last 15 years, what I want to do today is I want to take you back to the future. You say, what? I saw that movie, one, two, and three, okay. I'm not going to talk about Marty McFly today. I want to talk about something Jesus said 2,015 years ago. Long before the name of Southcrest ever began. If you have your Bible, look at Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to just read these five or six verses in Matthew 16, starting with verse 13. Listen to what the Bible says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, I want to stop right there. If you know anything about that region, which some of you may, some of you may not, there was a region that was 25 miles north of Jerusalem. It was known as the region of Caesarea Philippi. And it was kind of like the other side of the tracks, if you know what I mean. I mean, let me kind of clue you into a little bit about Caesarea Philippi. It was a weird place. I mean, they probably had shirts that said, keep Caesarea Philippi weird, okay? And there were a lot of weird things. It's kind of like Rio meets South Beach meets Vegas, And so as Jesus was walking along this region, he came upon these people and he asked his disciples a question. He said, who do people, probably pointing at Caesarea Philippi, who do people say that I am? What's crazy to me is this. There were a lot of crazy things that went on in Caesarea Philippi. There were probably crazy people there. But you know what's cool? Jesus went there. Jesus didn't just go to the temple. He didn't just show up where everyone loved him and clapped at his miracles. (laughs) He left the safety zone and he goes out to Caesarea Philippi and he begins to ask questions. Who do these people say that I am? Here's the crazy thing. Jesus went there. I want to make a statement to you today. Jesus loves messed up people. He does. Jesus loves messed up people because he went there. He went where they were messed up, but he didn't stop there. You see, Jesus loves messed up people, but here's the cool thing about Jesus. He loves them too much to leave them that way. 
just go to him and say, hey, here's these people out here. I know that they're, he just, he just probably looked and said, I'm going here because I don't want them to stay this way. I want to change their life. So look in verse 14. They, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15. But what about you? He asked, who do you say? that I am. I mean, this was really a defining moment for the disciples when you think about it. You see, I I, kind of look at this moment as Jesus was having a DTR moment with his disciples. You know what a DTR moment is, right? Like you get out of high school and you're done with all the high school dating deal. And so you go off to college and you start dating in college and you kind of get serious with someone for a while. Maybe you date a couple months and all of a sudden it's usually the girl because guys don't think this way. The girls sit down and they say, we need to have a talk and we need to define the relationship. Are we dating? Are we in love? And the, the guys over there going, dude, I just made a C in physics. <laughs> Jesus was having a DTR moment with his followers because it was in this moment that not only he showed that he loved messed up people and he wanted to change them, but he looks right back at those who were closest to him and he asked this question, who do you say that I am? Who do you say I am? And then all of a sudden, verse 16, listen to what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God. I mean, that's crazy because we don't understand all the terminology back in those days, but, but really what he was saying was, Jesus, you are the hope of the world. You're the one person that can set people free. So he looks back at him and he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. In verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father. Now I want to stop right there because there's kind of a, a funny moment in scripture when you think about it. How many of you guys have a middle name? Raise your hand. You got a middle name here. Okay. Look at your neighbor and tell him your middle name. <laughs> oh, there's going to be some laughter. All right. Your parents named you what? All right. So here's the cool thing, okay? Jesus, after Peter says, Jesus, you're the hope of the world, Jesus turns right back around and he looks at Peter and he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Remember, Jesus was the one who changed his name to Peter. And he goes back and he calls him by two or three different names. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if my mom wanted to get my attention, all three names came out, right? Sean Philip Smith. And I knew if I heard it in that vernacular, like, I better listen up, okay? Because my dad would follow with a belt. And so I was like, okay, okay, okay. Jesus, in this moment, when Peter says these words, he looks right back at Peter and he said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He says, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. In other words, you don't understand this because you were born into it. He says, but by my father who's in heaven. Here's what he was saying. The reason that you can stand here, Peter, and make this confession is because I've changed your life. Isn't that crazy? You know, our faith really never becomes public until it becomes personal. And Jesus, in that moment, he looks at him and he says, hey, 
this was yours because of a change that happened in your life, Peter. And then in verse 18, look what he says. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, I want you to know, this is the first time in Scripture that we ever hear the word church. People say all the time, well, I don't think the church is relevant. Like, we don't need the church anymore. I remember one time a lady came to me and she says, I don't believe in organized religion. And I looked at her and I said, well, do you like disorganized religion? I mean, what kind of, you know, what is it for you? What's your thrill here, you know? But a lot of times people say, the church isn't effective anymore. The church doesn't make a difference anymore. Listen, Jesus talked about the church and he talks about it in this moment. And the very church that Jesus is talking about relates to you and I 2,015 years later. Because Jesus says right here, he says, I'm going to build my church. And then he says something that'll make us gasp. He looks at Peter and he says, and Peter, I'm going to build it on you. Now, let me frame the moment for you. In Caesarea Philippi, when you would go into the front gate areas, there were these huge, massive rock quarries, like 100 foot tall, 100, you know, 200 foot. I mean, there were these massive cliffs. And when you would walk into that region, people were just enamored by all of this stone and all of this rock. So I can imagine Jesus in this moment looking at Peter seeing all of this stone and this rock and saying, I'm going to build my church and it's not going to come from that. It's going to come from you. See, Peter's name means little rock, Petros. He says, Peter, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to use you. Peter. Okay, let me remind you who Peter was. He was a fishing failure. Okay, Apart from Jesus, he would have never won the Bassmaster, okay? He wasn't going to win. He was a fishing failure. He had no filter. He said things all the time. He stuck his foot in his mouth. One time, he actually got out of a boat and tried to walk on water and almost drowned just because he wanted to get to Jesus. Okay, he's that guy. (laughs) And it gets better. He cut a guy's ear off. Are you not listening to me? Come here, I'll cut your ear off. I will cut you, okay? I mean, he cut a guy's ear off. But you know what else he did? He was the guy who denied Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus knew all those things were going to happen, and yet he looked at Peter, and he said, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. Let me ask you a question. What's your excuse today? What do you mean? Well, what's your excuse? You say, well, God couldn't do anything great with my life. No, God can do amazing things with your life because I'm as messed up as you're messed up as Peter was messed up. But here's the cool thing. Jesus not only loves messed up people, he uses them. And that's encouraging today for a guy like me. So Jesus says in this moment these words, I will build my church. That word church is the word ecclesia. It was never about a location. It was never about a building. It was never about even a name. Hey, we're going to call our location X. You know what it was? It was about a group of people who had been called out by God on mission together. 
So when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, he was pretty much saying, I'm going to call people out and then I'm going to put them on a mission and they're going to go change the world. And it's my church. I think that's probably one of the greatest moments in scripture. See, here's the truth today. The church is a movement, not a monument. You know what I love about our church? It's really never been about our location. You know, I had a person one time say, man, if you were on a corner, you guys would be running 5,000 people. No. It's not about a location. It's about a mission. One relationship at a time. Gospel, grace, growth, and generosity. You know, the truth is, many times we make church about the location instead of about the movement. And when we do that, we lose something. I want to say this to you today. Monuments memorialize the past. You go to a monument to remember the past. But movements change the world. And that's what this church is about that's what the church is about. That's what Jesus said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my church and I'm going to use you, you messed up person. And, and, and the cool thing is, it's not going to be about the location. It's not even going to be about what you call yourself. It's just going to be about the mission because the movement is what changes the world. I mean, you know, here's the cool thing. This tells us Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves his church. In fact, I want to tell you what I've learned in the last year of my life. Jesus will fight for his bride. I will fight for my bride. If you talk bad about my wife, we'll go out back and we'll do some UFC moves, okay? But I want to tell you, God will do the same thing and Jesus will do the same thing because he loves his church and he loves his bride. It's not about memorializing the past. It's about the movement that God has put us in. And in this moment of scripture, Jesus looks back 2015 years and then he causes us to look ahead and he's wanting to build his church. I mean, think about it this way. If Jesus is going to build his church, then growth is going to happen. And if growth is going to happen, change is going to occur. I meet people all the time like, oh, I don't want my church to change. You know, it's just, I used to know everybody and now I don't know everyone. Well, if that's the case, you've got to stop shopping at Walmart, Target, and never eat at Chipotle. Because they're big, right? Chipotle's not saying, I want to keep one restaurant so everyone will know the burrito they eat. Okay, that, that's not how it works. And in this moment of scripture, Jesus kind of says the same thing. I'm going to build my church and it's going to expand and it's going to grow and it's going to cause us to change. And let me say something about change. Change is a natural part of the Christian life. Did you know there's only one thing in life that doesn't change and it's dead people? So if you're like, I hate change, well, death is coming. You'll get there. But Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and it's going to require us to grow and change. So I want to make a statement to you today. I looked up these populations the other day. There are 10 million people in greater metro Atlanta, 10 million people. That's a honking lot of people. There are 200,000 people in Coweta and Troop County where both of our campuses are located. Our church has about 3,000 members. Some of you say, well, I don't want to be a mega church. Why? 
Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and it's about increasing my kingdom and changing people's lives. And I want you to go with me because you're the church. I'm going to build it on you. So I thought about it the other day. Here's what we are. We're a micro church with a mega vision. Listen, when we start running 20, 30,000, then we'll talk about the word mega. But even as small as we are as a church, our vision is mega. Because Jesus' vision is mega. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus ain't stopping. He's had expansion plans since Matthew 16. <laughs> uh, I said this early. I believe it's true. We're not too big. I want to be honest. We're not big enough. 10 million people in Atlanta? 200,000 people just in Coweta and Troop County? And we're going to say, well, we just want it to stay the same. No. Jesus said he's going to build his church. The question is, are we going to build it with him? Oh, I love that moment in scripture. You see, I truly believe this. If you struggle in a large church, you're going to really struggle in heaven. It's going to be millions of people around the throne. And somebody's going to have your seat. And they're going to be singing songs you've never heard of and don't like. And there's going to be people there that you think God didn't love and Jesus didn't care about. <laughs> I can't wait. Listen, I've been in ministry 26 years, so I've dealt with some very difficult people in the church. I'm waiting for some people to walk in and go, <laughs> that's going to be good right there. I want to see her face. I got to see his face. I mean, it's just awesome. So here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm going to build my church. You know what that tells us? Our future's bright. In fact, I want to make this statement today. Write this down. Remember this. If you don't remember anything else, please remember this statement. We need to quit trying to fix the church, and we need to focus on changing the world. See, I, I've been in ministry now 26 years. I have, listen, there are people that give their whole lives to just trying to fix the organization of the church. Jesus said, no, 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 you don't understand. I will build my church. He's got this. Your job is to go out and change the world. We need to quit trying to fix the American church, and we need to start focusing on changing the world. The world is dying and gasping for us to be the salt and light that Jesus said we are. Jesus said it. And he can back up the promise, I will build my church. Let me tell you why South Christ is in a great position today. Because Jesus is going to build his church. You say, don't you feel pressure? You know, you're a pastor, you got all these. No, I don't feel any pressure. Because this ain't my church. This is Jesus' church. And Jesus said he will build it. I'm just glad I'm on the building committee. Oh, I love it. And then he says something there. Because in the end of that verse, he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell won't overcome it. You know what he was saying? He said, guys, listen, we're not on defense. We are on offense. I love college football, so I'm going to ask this question. I know the answer, but I pray that you get it right. What is the best defense? A great offense. If you outscore your opponent, you are likely to win. 
Jesus said the gates of hell won't stand against it. Now, get the picture. He's standing here, Caesarea Philippi, looking at the region, looking at the area. He got his disciples, and he looks over and tells them, hey, guys, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to use you. And then he says, and you're on the offensive side of the ball, and the gates of hell can't stand up. We are on the offensive side of the ball. Our greatest days are ahead, but it's time for us to play better offense as the church. Only a few more months till college football. I can't wait. And then there's this last verse, and this is what Jesus tells us in verse 19. He says, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell can't stand against it. It won't stand against it. Verse 19. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When I read this, I thought, hmm. Do we understand what Jesus meant when he said that? He didn't just say, hey, you're on offense, but he gave us the ball and said, I want to tell you how you're going to score because you don't just have access, you have authority. So I want to illustrate this for you. Y'all put up this picture if you would, okay? Put it, yeah. Can I get a hallelujah, amen? <laughs> so so here's, here's why this picture's here today, Okay. Um, I want to let you into my world a little bit. When I was growing up, this was, this, was the car I, this was the car that kept me up at night. This was the car that I wanted from the time I was a teen. I bought models of this car and put this out. I smelt a lot of model glue to put this thing together, okay? I love Camaros. And I'm, I'm just going to say publicly today, if you own one of these and God lays it on your heart to give it to your pastor... I will receive it in Jesus' name. I mean, I I wasn't going to say this, but I'm just going to say it. Listen, some people want helicopters and planes. I just want a Camaro. (laughs) Don't leave here going, he wants a car. Okay, I don't. But here's the thing. I want to say it to you this way. Some of you have one of these in your driveway, and you say, you know what? I'm going to bless my pastor. I'm going to show up at his office tomorrow. And I'm going to walk in and say, hey, Pastor Sean, I, I want you to take my car for two weeks. In fact, you know what? Go ahead and keep it for a month. Here's the keys. You just drive it. You just have a good time. You just, you know, enjoy that thing. First of all, I'm going to say this. I need a good lawyer that can get me out of some speeding tickets. And I need some friends in the law enforcement because <laughs> we're going to get to know each other. <laughs> okay. But how crazy would it be if after two or three weeks you call me up and you say, hey, Sean, how's that Camaro? And I say, oh, you know, man, it's awesome. I've gotten in it a few times, but I've just kind of left it in my driveway for three weeks. I haven't even driven that thing. First of all, as a church, I give you permission to slap me if I ever do that. But you know what? I wouldn't do that. I'd wear that thing out. We'd be putting a new carburetor in that thing in two weeks. But I want to tell you this. When Jesus said these words, here's what he said. I'm going to build my church and I'm going to use you. And I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not just giving you access. I'm giving you authority. I want you to leave and go change the world. We have been given spiritual authority to go change this world. We're the church. 
We're South Crest. It's always been about one relationship at a time, and it will always be. I thank God for what he's done. You know, the Lord, the other day, I was having this study time where I got away for three or four days and was just praying and writing messages for the next fall and through the next year and just thinking through things. And here's what the Lord showed me. He said, Sean, you realize that you could have the greatest creativity. You could have the most amazing systems in place. You guys could have stellar communication. Like you could, you could look awesome. You could have all this stuff. You could be so organized. You could be so, you know, and you could have all this. Uh, you could have all these things and still not change the world. Man, I just started crying. I said, God, I don't want that. I want to be a part of a movement, not a monument. Listen, I'm going to give you some really cool promise today. Here's why I know our best days are ahead of us as a church. Because Jesus left us with the keys. Jesus left us with the keys. And he says, I want you to take these keys because I'm giving you access and authority in the kingdom of heaven to go change the world. The question is, what are we doing with it? See, if Jesus is going to build his church, we need to start being the church. He's going to build it. The fact that he would even invite us into the moment is pretty awesome. And I pray one day I stand before the throne of God and I look at Jesus' face and I realize not only was it worth it and not only was it awesome, but how incredible that he would use me and use you and use you and use you and use you to build his church. Jesus is going to build his church. We got to focus on being the church. Our best days ahead because Jesus left us the keys. Would you pray with me today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask that please nobody stand up, move around just for the next few moments. I want to be very honest with you today. I have prayed all weekend long, Lord, I believe there are lives that you want to change here today. There are moms and dads that you want to change here today. You know, I mentioned to you, Jesus had that moment with his disciples where he was having the DTR moment. It's like, hey, let's define this relationship. Jesus wants to have a DTR moment with you today. And here's the question. It's the same question. It hasn't changed in 2015 years. Here's the question. Who do you say that I am? Not who do all these other people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? Because as great as their confession is, the decision that becomes life-changing is when it becomes personal to us. The only reason Peter could say it back because Jesus had changed his life. And I want to say to you today, it doesn't matter if you're 80 or 8 or 18. If you're here today and you've never let Jesus change your life, this would be the greatest day for you to say yes to Jesus Christ. I mean, we've sung songs about heaven and earth colliding and God sending a son. And, and, and that's no lie. I mean, that is the truth. But I want to tell you today, Jesus is asking you that question because he's offering you salvation. Who do you say that I am? 
With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you have never made that decision to give Jesus your life, to trust him as Savior and Lord, like you make him the boss of your life, today I wanna give you that opportunity today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never made that decision before, would you pray this prayer with me today? Just silently, right where you are. Just kind of like draw a circle around you. Forget about your neighbor. Forget about who you came with. Forget about all the other distractions. But if that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Just say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for my sins. I believe that you love me and that you have a plan for my life. Jesus, today, I turn from myself and I turn my life over to you. Would you come into my life, Jesus? Forgive me and save me. Be the boss of my life today. Jesus, I place all my faith and all my trust in you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder in this size of a crowd today, if there's not many of you who for the very first time gave your life to Christ and Jesus today came into your life, you became part of the church today, the church today, because Jesus changed your life. If you're here today and you made that decision and you prayed with me, listen, I don't care if you've gone to South Coast for 15 years, for five minutes. If today, if you meant that decision and you prayed with me today and you gave your life to Christ, would you just stick your hand in the air right now? Say, Sean, today I did that. I did that. Today I gave my life to Jesus Christ and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed. Listen, Jesus loves messy people. He changes them. He sets them free. I want you to keep your hand held up. Anybody else say today for the first time, I gave my life to Christ, Sean. I prayed with you and I meant it. Amen. Anybody else today? For the very first time, you are saying, Jesus, you are the Lord. You're the Messiah. I can say it because you've changed me. Anybody else? Anybody else? Today, Jesus came into my life, Sean. I'm not ashamed. It's not about being religious. It's about having a relationship. If that's you today, would you just hold your hand up high? Father, there are several today who just confessed that today you changed their life. Lord, this is a miracle that you would come in this room and tap on somebody's heart and say, I want you. I love you. I want to change you. I want to use you. Lord, today for these that have raised their hands, I pray that you would give them courage to tell a friend, to tell a neighbor, to tell a spouse, to tell their children that today was the day I gave my life to Jesus. And so Lord, we bless you and we thank you. God, I pray over the next few moments, as we hang in this moment and as we worship in this moment, confessing you, Jesus, you are who you say you are and we believe that's who you are. Lord, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.